0: So truth today is a funny thing. As you look around at the world through the lens of the various media establishments, social medias, conversation with friends, we see a bunch of truth claims. But it seems as though very little proof is required these days to claim a truth. Now I remember on the playground... Back in the day, in the 90s, where my millennial's at, one of the biggest, like, shutdowns of an argument, when you thought one of your friends was lying to you, was prove it. Show me proof. Knowing that they very well couldn't prove whatever they were trying to prove, because you're little children flexing on each other, saying the most ridiculous things ever. And that just shut down the argument. Prove it. Bring me the proof. But it seems like to me, for whatever my opinion's worth, I look around the world and people are claiming truths and not even worrying about whether there are proofs or not. They're just saying, well, because I want it to be true, it must be true. Because it feels a certain way, because I think a certain way, because I'm with a certain group, this truth has to be my truth truth and then you push back on that and you get a pretty age-old argument well your truth can be what you make it and my truth can be what I make it and we can get along which on the surface level agreeing to disagree seems like a valiant thing to do and maybe we need to do a little more of that these days but the reality is if your truth is true and my truth is true that means that your truth is also not true And my truth is not true. So there is no truth. Which leads us to the reality that there has to be some ultimate reality of things. There's got to be a foundation that all of our culture and philosophies and in life are built on. And that foundation needs proofs. Otherwise, it's not a foundation at all. It's sinking sand. And the call of any faithful person is to know what their truth is and know how to justify why they claim it as truth with proofs. And for the Christian, our truths come from a book that was once a human that is also a God, and that's a crazy truth. So today we're going to be looking at uh, where Bronson left off last week with this account, this true story. Remember he said it's not once upon a time, it's this has happened, or I guess what we'd say today, what had happened was these two apostles, disciples of Jesus heal a man now a man that everybody knew was lame for years He was 40 years old lame his entire life hung out in places where he could just get the breadcrumbs and the spare change from people walking by just to survive and here this man had been healed through these apostles by a truth and he danced around in front of the people that used to throw change at him so they wouldn't have to make eye contact as they walked by and it drew a crowd. It drew a crowd of amazed onlookers that wanted to know how in the world this could be true. How could this crippled man be dancing in front of me? I know it's him. He, this hasn't been some trick he's been planning with these dudes for 40 years. He was really crippled last week. And now he's dancing and hanging on these men who gave him nothing. But a command to stand. So, we're going to look at this truth that has the power to make crippled people perfectly healthy. So, let's read our scripture today. It's Acts 3 11 through 20. It's on the screens, or if you've got your, little, your glowing devices, speaking of which, I need to set my timer. So we're not here until tomorrow. Verse 11. While he, the newly healed crippled friend, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, To this we are witnesses. And in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong through Jesus. Oh, sorry. Has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So today I'm going to talk about this truth claim that Peter is making, now that he has this crowd of amazed people whose worldview has been rocked. Like, it's not normal for a crippled man to just be healed by words, even in their day. So they're like, what's going on? Like, how is this possible? What I thought true yesterday, man, I don't know, because this has happened. So they're partly there for the spectacle, sure, but they're also, there, probably very curious as to how this could happen. So I'm going to I'm going to split up this truth claim into two uh, parts. The first part I'll call humanity's truth. And the second part I'll call the resurrection truth. And then we're going to look at how we should respond to truth of this nature. So humanity's truth begins way, way, way before this account. Humanity's truth begins... Back in the Garden of Eden, God had created a perfect place for his prized creation, humans, man and woman, created in his image to thrive, grow, and populate and cultivate a perfect garden city throughout the world. He gave them everything they needed to produce this type of society. The perfect society, the society that we look around at every single culture today longs for, strives for, creates and develops different forms of ruling and government for, and we can't seem to get it. It was already there. And then they decided they had their own plan. And this is where humanity's truth was birthed. A sneaky serpent walked up in the garden and he propositioned them, said, hey, I've got a better truth for you. You decide what is true. Why, why do you let God decide what is true? He doesn't trust you. Why don't you decide what is good and what is bad? Just take a bite of this fruit and it will allow you that power. So instead of running the serpent out of the garden, instead of standing their ground on the truth that was given to them by the one that breathed life into their very lungs, they believed a new truth that set them on the throne of the world. And that trickled down through humanity to where Peter and John and the lame, healed lame beggar stands before these men looking at them going, how can this be true? So Peter tells them in a very Peterish way. He looks at the crowd and he tells them, the man that you sent before Pilate brings truth to you. The man that you denied in favor of a murderer is the one that speaks truth to you. The man that you wanted nothing to do with, after Palm Sunday, is the one who God resurrected from the grave and gave the power, just at the power of his name, to make this crippled man walk. That is the truth. And it rocked them. Wouldn't it rock you? Wouldn't you be like, whoa, okay, hmm, maybe I missed it. But just like the men in the crowd before Pilate, denied Jesus, the author of life, as Peter names him, to not only choose and release a murderer, we choose to let loose that which is spiritually murdering murdering us and others in our lives every single day. Now, I want to be gracious with that, selfishly, firstly to myself, We don't always willingly or knowingly do this in our own ignorance and maybe in the hustle of life when you're multitasking way too much. When people are screaming for cookies in your house that is way too small and you're trying to write a sermon while your wife is trying to write a dissertation and they don't understand why they can't have cookies at 630 in the morning, you yell at them. And sin in your heart. You let loose a murderer at your children. I don't know who does that. (laughs) And when I did that, I believed a truth that God couldn't handle what I couldn't handle. I let loose a murderer in my heart and mind that lied to me. Rather than leaning on the truth that God It's foundationally got me. At some level, we may understand, like immediately after the whole thing, I realize, ah, did it again. I did not show grace to these humans that I'm trying to teach how to be human. I'm the adult. They're the child. But these men, these men, in their ignorance... Missed the very Messiah that they were discipled to look for. They would have known the scriptures of the Old Testament. Talking about the coming one that will write everything. That will bring the truth of God to earth and set the throne correct. They would have been looking for that truth. And they stared right at Jesus and said, not him. He's not doing it the way I'd do it. He didn't come in on a war horse. He came in on a donkey. He's not conquering Rome. He's submitting and sacrificing himself. This cannot be the Messiah. This cannot be my truth. So just like I wanted to Forcibly bend my child's will with no love because I had something more important to do than their soul. These men wanted to tell the God of the universe, the author of life itself, how he should save the very thing he created. And they did it by denying him. They requested Barabbas instead, unknown. Assassin and murderer. Yes, release the assassin into my life group instead of Jesus. I think it might be better than having an innocent man who's proclaiming a hard truth. They misunderstood the prophets. They missed it. They were ignorant. But then, sometimes we understand what we're doing. We make choices to release the murderer because it feels better. We watch the news and we agree with our pundits that the other side are idiots. That if they would just go away or fall in, the world would be better. Or again, someone yesterday following a man that was not paying attention in his car, weaving all over the place, almost hitting several cars. It's like, if only that dude could just Get off the road and get out of my way. My life would be better. And then the thoughts that followed. What would I do if I stopped at this stop sign and just gave him a piece of my mind? That's not loving my enemy. It's loving my power, and my pride. It's not discipling him in the way to go. It's attacking him because I'm better. So sometimes we choose the murderer. And then sometimes we're the very villain that we're releasing upon the world. Sometimes, like Adam and Eve, we believe that we have a better plan. That we stand in front of a holy God and say, you know, your plan sounds okay, but I got a better one. And we believe it and we move forward with it. And then we're surprised when things don't go the way that we had imagined. Or maybe they go exactly the way we had imagined, but everybody around you is hurt by it. We do this when we choose hate instead of love, despair instead of joy, conflict instead of peace, hurry instead of patience, harshness instead of kindness, immorality instead of self-control. When we deny the fruit of the Spirit, we become the villain released that attacks our own life and those people around us. With the same mouth, we praise God and curse our neighbor who is created in the image of God. We do this with self-righteousness, defending the very murderer that seeks to kill us, sin. That's humanity's truth. But the truth of the resurrection proclaims, Jesus presses into that, commanding us to love, not only our friends and family, not only our neighbors and strangers, but our enemies, those we disagree with those that we can't hold a conversation with at a logical decibel level, and even those who would seek our lives. And as Americans, we don't like that one. Shock and awe, right? We're the rebels. We're the ones that stand up to things. But the reality is, without love, standing up for something is just another type of tyrant, because in the end, even if you mean well, what you will do is bend them to your will, not God's. You will yell at them, you don't need cookies at 6.30 in the morning, instead of lovingly bending over and saying, William, you need something healthy, and I'm willing to feed that to you. And maybe on third breakfast, I will give you cookies. Now, Jesus embodies this resurrection truth because these men that denied him and sent him before Pilate and then called for a murderer murderer to be, be released and then cried for his crucifixion, in the middle of it all, nailed to the cross, bleeding out, he looks at them with grace and compassion and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the love at his most extreme for enemies. Because he knew the end game. Now he had, a, he had an unfair advantage. Being God, he could see what was coming. But faith gives you an advantage. Faith gives you the ability to look into truth claims, pray to the one that made them, and get a clear view of what it means for you, for me, to love our neighbor, even to love enemies. And we're getting a clear picture right here of Peter and John. Remember, these men sought their lives too. John ran away for his life. Peter denied Christ himself for his life. But yet the resurrection truth remains. Forgive them, Father. They didn't know what they were doing. I want them to know the truth of my love. Peter denying his own rabbi, his mentor, his best friend, three times enabled him to look at these men with compassion and empathy and say, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. But doesn't that disqualify him, right? A little? If he denied Christ, how can he stand before them worthy to proclaim a truth that, sorry, Stephen, that He didn't want anything to do with at a moment his life was threatened. Well, there's a a piece to the resurrection truth where Christ meets you right where you're right where you are. And he met Peter on a beach. And I would imagine at this point, Peter was pretty heartbroken about the loss of Jesus, but also the loss of his his faith and what he thought was this fortress of. Confident faith that he got by walking with the Son of God for three years, doing all this miraculous things, and then he thought he lost it all by denying him three times in a moment of fear. And yet, Jesus walks straight up to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Care for my lambs. Peter, do you love me? See, Jesus' resurrection truth, he takes us from where we are and he reinstates us into the kingdom that God wanted and created from the beginning. So he took Peter and he reinstated him as son and brother and love and then put him as the lead pastor of his church plant. Now, last week, Bronson said it's probably not a good strategy to recruit Uh, people that can't give anything, you know, like the homeless guy, he can't tithe, he can't do anything, he has no skills. I think it might be a worse strategy to put the guy that just denied you in charge of your entire plan. Or is it genius? Because here's what God's currency operates on. He could take nothing and make it the beauty of the world. So he could take us And turn us into the very weapons against the murderer to save the lives of those who are chained to death. So we see Peter standing here with confidence because he knows the resurrection truth. And he is looking into the eyes of these men who not long ago, five weeks ago or so, actually I think it was 50 days, 50 days ago, wanted their life. And I'm sure something probably hadn't changed at that point in these men's hearts, other than they just saw this amazing healing. Peter, knowing that God's grace is not dependent upon him, but God's grace is only dependent upon God, speaks a truth into these men's lives that will change them forever. Forever. He tells them that the same power that resurrected the Jesus that they crucified is what healed this crippled man. So he's making two claims, two big old claims. Remember that Jesus dude you crucified and thought he was gone? Yeah, he resurrected. We were witnesses to it. You can go ask us and about 500 other people. I'll give you their email. And by the way, just speaking his name healed this guy. And that cracked, that fractured the worldview that they were standing so confidently upon. That it was their actions, their morality, their ability to follow rules that made them beautiful in the eyes of God. And we do this every day. If you are a believer it's so easy to follow in, fall into the struggle of, man, I'm just not good enough today, God. I know you don't love me as much as that one day that I led worship or preached or gave money to that homeless man. Because today I yelled at my son. Am I really worthy to preach in front of my church? Am I really worthy to lead disciple group. You know my heart. That's us believing humanity's truth. And then there are those who don't know anything but humanity's truth. They've never tasted and seen the resurrection of Christ. So all they know are the chains and shackles of death that the murderer has wrapped around them. And they are trapped inside of this truth that they, even though they try, can never be good enough for whatever it is they think they need to be good enough for. So many people spend their entire life hunting for something they have no idea what they're hunting for and it turns out that it's not wealth. It's not health. It's not the perfect job. It's not the family. It's not the car. It's not the freedom. And they get to the end of their life and they're just like, WTF? What was it? what was I seeking? What they were seeking was this truth that has been woven into the DNA of every human being. We are the only creatures on this planet that strive for better. Just watch a nature program. Like, antelopes don't build fortresses to protect their babies from a lion. There's like, ah, had another one, right? They don't strive for better. They exist. Humans strive for something more and better. Where does that come from? That can only mean that there is something more and better than what we know now. And Peter is proclaiming that something better through Scripture that was written by humans that were indwelled with a living God, and His Word is there is a resurrection truth that will free you from the shackles of sin and death, because Jesus on the cross put the murderer himself in that cell. The resurrection power of Jesus is the only way that Peter could stand in front of these men and claim all of these things. So just like the, the name of Jesus healed this crippled man to perfect health, by the way. I love that little detail. He didn't just walk. He was a specimen afterwards. I don't know what that means, like perfect health. I don't know if he was instantly just yoked, but... His health was perfect by the definition of the Holy Spirit, whatever that means. That means that Jesus didn't just take him so far, he took him all the way. And he offers the same healing to our hearts, our crippled hearts, the heart of selfishness, where I'd rather have my peace and quiet than my son's voice ringing in my ears, that I only get for about 20 years, I've been told. Thank you for the wisdom of all the parents who are now empty nesters telling me all the time, you're going to miss that. Because I sit there, man, I wasn't missing it. (laughs) Those sweet little truths go a long way, by the way. And I don't want to forget my single folks, because I know it's hard in our culture. But I love dropping little tidbits, that the resurrection truth for you is you have mobility and time and freedom to do big things for the will of God, to do big things for his church, to go out after 9 p.m. whenever you want, to move on a whim, don't allow humanity's truth to say you're second rate because you need some other. Because maybe you don't. The beauty of the resurrection truth is God created us for a purpose. And those purposes are all interwoven into this gospel narrative that the body of Christ is different parts and pieces. that's another sermon. Let me move on. So what do we do? What did these dudes do? Let's look at what they did. They recognized Peter and John, I'm assuming, about this point when he said, hey, we were there. We saw you do this. And we see them taking in this truth claim. And they had to measure it against what they knew to be true. And as they did so, I can imagine, I don't know how it went down, but I can imagine one by one, these men, the the resurrection truth just started ringing in their hearts. The death started to melt away and the life started to grow. And one by one, they came and they said, we want in. 5,000 of them that day. 5,000 of them, and that doesn't include... The author kind of alludes to that doesn't include their wives or any children that was with them. 5,000 plus people looked into the resurrection truth and were changed, brought from death to life. So I'll say to you today, what should you do? What should you do with this resurrection truth? Well, I'd say do the same thing that little bitty Eiley in the 90s did. When Christian friends, and when you sit in here and people claim a truth, ask them to prove it. I'll even go farther and say, you go seek proof. And the first place you should probably go is where the proof is proclaimed first. The Bible. Read it. Challenge it. God can handle it, by the way. Don't worry, Christians. Calm down. So many people have gone from death to life because they wanted to prove that God's not real. So many people have challenged the ways of Christianity with some other way, and it's fallen short because no other way really wants to love their neighbor like Jesus calls Christians to. They can't explain why martyrs go to their death singing hymns. They can't explain why Christians would give everything so that a total stranger that has nothing would have something. They can't explain that because they are looking through the lens of humanity's truth, and it's fractured. That's what these men did. They took off the lens of humanity's truth, and they put on the lenses of the gospel truth. that was proclaimed to them. We must put on the gospel lenses that make us see clearly the truth of our reality. Sin is the currency of this world and has been gaining value since the fall of Adam and Eve. That feeling around you on the news, when you hear about conversations everywhere that it just doesn't seem right. Somehow there's supposed to be something better got to search for that thing that make everything worth it the truth I'm proclaiming to you today that thing is is a person and his name is Jesus take as long as you need to prove that but in the end that's truth and there are so many people in this room that will like to walk that truth with you now if you're A faithful follower, if you're a brother or sister and you're sitting here and you're saying, well, what about me? Well, here's the reality. There are dead parts of your heart that are either remnants from before habits that you haven't let go or injuries that you've caused yourself or others have caused you that need to be resurrected. The gospel is not a trophy you put on a shelf. The gospel is news that has happened and and has implications on the way we live why we live, and who we live for. So I challenge you, faithful Christians, don't hide your hurt. Do what Peter calls these men to do. Repent of your unfaithfulness. Repent of not trusting. Dig into the pain and search for the one that can resurrect those pieces of your heart. There's only one way. This is either shackles or freedom, sin and death, or eternal life. Those are the two truths at play. It's the most simple thing in the world and the most impossible thing in the world. Simple because all it takes is to turn, like Peter says. Men, repent. Turn back. That's Simple. But the reality is this, if you're a prisoner shackled to sin, you need a savior. You need someone to sneak in there and pick that lock. No, that's not how Jesus would roll. You need someone to roll in there, kick the door down, break the chains with his biceps, lovingly pick you up and walk you through the threshold, because that's what he did. We are not capable of escaping sin slavery, just like the crippled man was powerless to heal himself. He was enslaved to his malformed and malfunctioning body, and we are enslaved to our malformed and malfunctioning hearts. We need King Jesus, the hero of the story, to break into our hearts our prisons of sin and release us from these chains. We need the author of life to look us in the eyes and command death to leave and life to begin. So if you're sitting here today striving to be better or trying to prove that you are enough, you're enough for Jesus, but you're not enough to save yourself. So run to him. Right now. Like, zone out if you need to. Run to him in repentance. Run to him in your weakness. Run to him in your pride. Run to him in your worship. Tell him you need him. Tell him that the proof that you need has to come from him. Give him your entire self. Start with your sins. He owns those anyway. Bottom on the cross, lock, stock, and barrel. But give him your life. Give him your house. Give him your car. Give him your hobbies. Give him your son's sports or your daughter's dance or your daughter's MMA, whatever. I know it's 2023. Give him everything because he's the author that created it all anyway. So, guess what? He's got the manual. He will teach you how to use all the things in your life as tools to build a kingdom and as weapons against the murderer. And He will set you on the path of righteousness to be little shining lights of the bright, shining star that is Jesus. One of my favorite um, lines from this scripture is when Peter says, that the resurrection truth will blot away your sin. And I've always heard that. It's in songs. It's, it's in danger of being cliche. But a lot of things of truth are cliche because people just use them willy-nilly. But the truth of this is, back in the day, they wrote on papyrus, and the type of ink they used, it didn't etch into the papyrus. So when you blotted it away, it was like a dry erase board. It was gone forever. There was no remnant. There was no, like, you know, when you have those erase pens, again, from the 90s. We had all the cool stuff. The pins that erase, I don't know why you wouldn't use a pencil, but it left just enough residue to tell that something had happened there. Your misspelling was there, and the teacher's going to know. That's not how... Christ's resurrection truth works on your sin. He blots it out forever. The same Greek is used in the book of Revelations when he talks about blotting out pain, suffering, death, and the serpent forever. He erases it for good. This is the power of the resurrection truth. And that's exactly what happened to the men listening to the sermon that day. They saw the truth, couldn't deny it, turned back, and beheld a life they had never experienced before. And I'm telling you, friends, this is what Jesus is calling you to right now. Won't you turn from the lying, deceitful murderer sin and rest in the grace of Jesus' resurrection power? Take a hold of the author of life and embrace him because he loves you more than you know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that my unbelief told me yesterday were not possible. Your truth is unbelievable because it is so big. And yet, you lead us to believe it. So I pray right now for my own heart and for those that are in here. Lead us to belief. Bring us to life. so that we can dance with perfect bodies for all eternity for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.